Welcome to Hillside Baptist Church Podcast. We are a church that is committed to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is our privilege to open God's word with you. It is our prayer that you receive the message from the man of God with an open heart. That through God's word, you are encouraged and equipped to face life's challenges. But most importantly, it is our prayer that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior if you haven't already. If you'd like to connect with us, you can do so at hillsidebc.com, find us on Facebook, or send us an email at info at hillsidebc.com. We hope that you benefit from today's message and that you would share it with a friend. But let's now open our hearts and God's Word. Well, join with me. We're going to be in our Bible, 1 Corinthians 14, Philippians 3, 2 Timothy 2. We're going to be a couple of places tonight. We're looking at the final uh, little passage, and we're going to be in the book of Acts as well, so we're going to be in there. But we're looking at the final lesson from the Apostle Paul's life, and we see a pattern in his life that we can follow. During the, uh, a period of revival known as the work of God in Philadelphia, there was a man whose name was Dudley Tongue. And along with other ministers, they would preach revival messages throughout the week and uh, at the local YMCA, literally to thousands of men at their lunch hour. And so they would come in, uh, they would feed them lunch, they would preach to them, and thousands of men uh, would come in and hear the message. In March of 1858, uh, Brother Tongue preached a, a rousing sermon to 5,000 men who were there at the YMCA, and over 1,000 men made a profession of faith. What a tremendous day. And he said this during his sermon. He said, I would rather that this right arm were amputated at the trunk than that I should come short of my duty to you in delivering God's message. A few days later, uh, Pastor Tongue left the study and visited his country home. And there in his barn, he was checking on his cow and his mule was harnessed there uh, to a machine that was shelling the corn. And as it was shucking the corn there, he patted the, the, the mule on the sleeve uh, or patted the mule on its rump and his sleeve got caught up in the machinery and it sunk, uh, suck his, sucked his arm in. And his arm was badly maimed and he, just a few days later, passed away from the injury. But before he died, one of the ministers came to visit him and, and they said, is there a message that you have for those at the revival? And he said, tell them, let us all stand up for Jesus. It's touched by these words, his friend sat down, Dr. George Duffield, and he wrote the hymn, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. You know, that example and the example of the Apostle Paul's life or maybe even Jesus Christ himself all uh, testify to, hey, we can stand up for Jesus Christ. But we look at Apostle Paul's life and his legacy and his life has endured centuries. Literally, we see almost 20 centuries after his death, his ministry continues in the form of his epistles, in the form of those that were converted and they'd share the gospel with others and go on down through the line. There's, there, his life is an example of how God can use our life. Now, he wasn't perfect. As a matter of fact, we know he was a sinner. He was on his way uh, to Damascus to capture Christians and to bring them in chains, uh, dead or alive. I don't think he cared much at that moment, but his desire was to bring in Christians bound and to, uh, to bring accusation against them. And yet God got a hold of this sinner's life. And when God got a hold of Paul, he didn't just get a piece of him. He got all of him. Amen. And boy, what a change it made in the Apostle Paul's life. You know, other than Jesus Christ himself, I think the Apostle Paul 
presents to us one of the most challenging patterns uh, for us to follow. If we look throughout Scripture and throughout history, I would say that his life is one of the most challenging that we can, uh, we can view. He had a sterling character. He had an indomitable spirit. He had a lifelong consistency uh, and constancy. He never compromised. And this is a model that will benefit us uh, if we study and emulate it. And that's why we spent time this last year trying to do so. And so as Paul saw this, he said, listen, as I have surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to do a few things. I want you to follow me as I follow Christ. Look at a few things together uh, just in the scriptures here by way of introduction this, this evening. In 1 Corinthians 4.16 is the very first verse we'll look at. And just as this, this voice of Paul reaches to us through the ages, he says, Wherefore, I beseech you, be ye followers of me. Again, Philippians 3 and verse number 17. It says, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them uh, which uh, walk so as you have, uh, have us for an example. And then go to 1 Thessalonians 1, 6. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, saying, uh, having received the word of much affliction with the joy of the Holy Ghost. Listen, if we follow someone who's following Christ, we can be confident we are moving in the right direction. And so let's stop, let's have a word of prayer, and we'll jump into a few things here tonight regarding the pattern that Paul set, the pattern that we also can follow. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the reading of your word, for this reminder that, Lord, when we're following someone who's following you, we won't go astray. But God, we thank you most of all that we can fix our eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, the one who laid down his life is an example for us all. And Lord, we need him tonight. We need him in our homes. We need him uh, in our church. We need him in our lives. We need him in our country. Lord, what a desperate uh, cry we have tonight uh, for Christ to be the center of all that we do. And so, Lord, help us in this message. Help me, Lord, uh, to be your mouthpiece. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If we want to be sure of our own example, we can ask ourselves this simple question. Would those who follow me be closer to Christ because of what they see in me? Uh, one, one way you can ask it is, uh, if everybody in church was just like me, what would the church be like? Well, we're talking about Wednesday night crowd, so that's a pretty good thing. Amen? Uh, so I'm not preaching to the choir, but it's something that we should consider. You know, if everybody in church was just like me, would the church uh, continue or would it falter? Listen, not only are we to seek, but also to follow godly examples. And so we are equally responsible to just setting an example, but also to follow those who are following Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 12, Paul exhorted Timothy, and he said, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word and conversation and charity and spirit and faith and purity. He says, Listen, Timothy, you're young, but you can still be that example that this world needs. And church, let me remind you, you may be young in the faith or you may be older in the faith, but regardless, people are watching and they, many will follow your example. Many years ago in a sermon, I heard a preacher get up and say, listen, remember that you can always be used as a bad example. I said, man, I said, Lord, don't let me be a bad example. I want to be a good example. I want, to, I want to be able at the end of my days say, man, this guy walked with Christ all of his days. I don't want to be the other one. Titus, again, he writes and he says uh, to this young man, he says, Titus 2, 7 and 8, he says, in all things, showing thyself a pattern 
of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Again, he says, Titus, listen, it's important, it's imperative in this life that you are that example. Now, there are some specific qualities we want to look at that we can imitate from the, uh, from the Apostle Paul's life. And the first one is that of godliness. He had a pattern of godliness everywhere he went. Remember, this life is not about you and it's not about me. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so whatsoever we do should be done for the glory of God. Uh, in our memory verse this year, in Colossians chapter 3, two times we are recognized that whatsoever you do, do hardly is to the Lord and not unto men. Or uh, previously in that same chapter, he says, and whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's all for Him. And so our responsibility then is to live before others in such a way that it doesn't draw attention to me, it draws attention to Jesus Christ. You see, a godly person is one who reverences and glorifies God in their daily living. When Christ was here, He preached the famous Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 there. And as He did so, He said some important words regarding this godliness, this godly lifestyle. In Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16, He says, "...ye are the salt of the earth." But if the salt had lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and be trodden under foot of men. Ye are, so we are the salt of the earth, but now he says this next ye are statement. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. And he says in the same way then, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You see, that's the pattern of godliness. That's a life of dedication to Jesus Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul desired that when people would look at his life, they would say, this is a man who followed Christ with all his heart. Man, may that be our desire. So what is it? There's a couple of areas that we see of godliness, and the first one is that of a godly courage. Uh, Paul had many opportunities to exhibit courage for Christ. He was consistently refused uh, to take the safe, uh, the safe way. He didn't, uh, he didn't take the easy way out. He just was simply willing to obey God and whatever it was. Remember, his goal was not popularity. His, his goal was to boldly stand for Jesus Christ. In 2 Timothy chapter number 3, verses 10 through 12, as he recounts there in Timothy in the end of his life the testimony that he had laid forth, he says, But thou hast fully known my doctrine. You know my testimony, Timothy. You know, uh, even though you've heard some things, you know what my life has been about. You know my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, long-suffering, my charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. He said, listen, you know what I believed. You know what I still believe. You know what I've been through. You know the faithfulness. He said, and it's all because, uh, and I believe in Paul's life, it was all because he trusted in the Lord. Listen, we've seen Paul encounter many different hardships. We've recounted that throughout this series. We saw the many persecutions that he went through, the hardships. But listen, godly courage met each one of those head on and prevailed. 2 Timothy, in the same book there, chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, 
Again, he preaches, uh, shares with Timothy. He says, At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it may not be to the, laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, he said, The Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me into his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Notice as he wrote these words that godly courage is rooted firmly in a strong relationship with God. Listen, he said, the Lord shall deliver me. The Lord delivered me out of the mouth of the lion. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord. He had his courage, uh, was rooted in his faith in God. Listen, I think a lot of times Christians are fearful because our faith has become weaker. Listen, faith drives out fear. The Lord gave his turn. Listen to what the Lord gave to Joshua. Joshua 1, verses 7 through 9. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Remember, his courage, and God reminded Joshua, listen, your courage is not rooted in you or in bravado. Your courage is rooted in me, so walk with me. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Again, he preaches that same message consistently over and over and over. In 1973, on an Easter Sunday, Uganda was groaning under the terror, uh, terrorism of uh, ID admin. And still, uh, this young pastor, Kifa Sampangi, his memory, uh, in his memory was uh, just this the, uh, burned face, uh, the sight of soldiers that were beating a man, the horrible sounds of boots crushing bones, all of this for a crime of just simply being a Christian. But on Easter in 1973, Pastor Simbangi uh, was called upon to preach the gospel to 70,000 people in a stadium. Instead of, uh, instead of compromising the word, instead of saying Jesus is a way, he simply preached the truth, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. He got up and he boldly proclaimed the truth. After the service, five of I.D. Amin's uh, secret police followed Simpongi back to his church, and they closed the door behind him as they followed him in. With five rifles pointed at this, this pastor, they said very coldly, We're going to kill you for disobeying orders, said the captain. If you have something to say, say it before you die. Of course, Pastor Simpangi, thinking of his beautiful wife and his lovely little girl, he began to be afraid and fearful and to shake. But then the Lord began to speak courage into his heart. And instead of being fearful and begging for his life, he simply said, Do what you must. The Word of God says that in Christ I am already dead and that my real life is hidden with Him in God. It is not my life that is in danger, but yours. I am alive in the risen Lord, but you are still dead in your sins, and may He spare you from eternal destruction. The leader looked at Simpongi for a long time, and then he lowered his gun and said, Will you pray for us? Simpongi did. Those five men were converted through the witness of this man's bravery. 
Listen, his bravery wasn't rooted in himself. You, you heard his testimony. He said, I was afraid. I was shaking. I was fearful. I was thinking of my child and my wife and how they would be left without a, a father and a husband. He said, but instead, I boldly, God strengthened me to boldly stand for truth. Courage is not always something that's so dramatic. It's not always something that's revealed in the times of crisis. Courage is often just a matter of doing the right thing when it would be easier or more popular to do something different. You see, opportunities for courage are all around us. Man, the next time you go to the store and that Holy Spirit knocks on your heart and says, hey, you need to give that track to that person uh, at, at the checkout line. And that, man, that moment takes a little bit of courage. God, I'm going to trust you. You're leading me. I'm going to do this. And, and so this is the greatest time of the year uh, to pass out tracks, by the way. Take those Merry Christmas tracks, pass those out, and people think, oh, I've gotten a, a Christmas card. It's wonderful. And they receive it and they say, thank you. It's great. You ought to try it. And you just hand it to them and say, Merry Christmas. And they say, oh, thank you so much. They don't know what they're getting. It is the greatest gift you could ever give them. But listen, if somebody had a need, would you stand up? Would you, would you be a help? You know, what, what disgusts me and, and saddens my heart is watching people, uh, watching these videos of people who will get their cell phones out and they will video abuses taking place on our streets in America and they won't step up to intervene and help. But you know, God's called upon us to say, listen, I am with you. You, don't, you can rest assured that I will never leave you. I am paying attention. I, am, I, I will help you through this. And God's called us to be people of courage, a godly courage. But notice secondly, that he didn't just have a godly courage, but he had a godly contentment. Now, Contentment's one of those weird things. It's easy to be content when things are going good. It's easy to be content when uh, after you just opened all the presents on Christmas Day. Amen, kids? That's an easy time to be content. And then, the, then you turn on uh, the television and all the, the, the advertisement comes on. You say, oh, I didn't get that for Christmas or that for Christmas. And then contentment flies out the window. Listen, when the sun is shining, it's easy to be content. When the birds are singing, it's easy to be content. But the real test is this. Can we still be content when the going gets tough? The Apostle Paul could. Matter of fact, he says in Philippians chapter number 4, and verses 11 through 12, he says, not that I speak in respect of want, as he's still dealing with the, Philippian, the church in Philippi and thanking them for their sacrifice. He says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and how to abound. And everywhere in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. He's, the Apostle Paul said, listen, I know what it is to go without and I know what it is to have a surplus and I have found and I have learned. And that's the key. We're not naturally inclined to contentment, but he said, I have learned that Christ is all I need. So how did he learn this contentment? He learned it by going through, not avoiding the rough times and in the rough times, keeping his focus on the Lord. Paul was content and even joyful uh, after taking a severe beating and even uh, finding himself in a dark prison. In Acts chapter 16, if you remember, we find Paul and Silas in the middle of a prison, locked in shackles in the inner recesses of this uh, under severe guard. And yet uh, there in the middle of the night, uh, bleeding probably from the beatings they had taken in stocks, in, uh, in chains. And yet there in the middle of the night, the Bible says that they prayed and sang praises unto God. And God used their testimony of contentment to bring about a change in the guard's life. 
First Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, he speaks to Timothy about this. He says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Isn't that good? One of the things that we should earnestly ask God for this year is contentment. God, help me to be satisfied. Help me, Lord, to be content uh, with the state that you have brought my life, whether that's a, a surplus or whether that's a, a lack of this worldly goods. But this is what he says. He says, for we, uh, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. You know what he said? You can't put a U-Haul behind a hearse. He says, and having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Matthew six thirty three. seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Those basic needs of life, God will provide when we seek Him. Listen, what we can be guilty of, we can be guilty of griping and complaining. We can be guilty of discontentment. Listen, we, we encounter this on a daily basis and it's, it's the norm. But if we can keep an attitude that says, listen, my God is able. My God is still God. I don't care what this world may throw at me. My God is still big enough to handle it all. Listen, God can use our influence of godly contentment to change others around us. So there's a godly courage, there's a godly contentment, and a godly compassion. Now, in the pages of Scripture, we read about a couple of men who had great compassion, and that they were both willing to miss their eternal reward for the sake of other people. And so those two men were Moses and Paul. In Exodus chapter 32, verses 31 and 32, it says, And Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. Moses said, listen, I'm willing to sacrifice myself so that these people could be saved. There was a compassion there that was beyond just a leading of these people. He was willing to sacrifice his own eternal soul for them. The second one was Paul. He wrote in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 5, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish, uh, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are the fathers and of whom, as concerning the f flesh, Christ came, and who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. He said, listen, I would rather be the one that was accursed and let them go to heaven than the other way around. You see, when we have a compassion, we're being like our Lord. We see this in Scripture in Psalms chapter 145 and verse 8. It says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He's slow to anger and of great mercy. Psalms 86 and verse 15. But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion, gracious, long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy and truth. Compassion was one of the hallmarks of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, we oftentimes think of His compassion, and I oftentimes think of His compassion on the lost in Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 9. But in Mark chapter 8, there was something else that we see, and, and that was a compassion even toward their physical needs. Mark 8, 1 through 3, it says, In those days, the multitude being very great, and having nothing to eat, Jesus called His disciples unto Him, and saith unto them, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now been with Me three days, and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for diverse of them came from far. So Christ, in this, mo in this moment, He had a great compassion. But listen, 
his whole life was wrapped up in this word of compassion and love. For God so loved the world that he gave. You see, that love was willing to allow Christ to leave the glories of heaven, just as Brother David was, uh, was leading us in ivory palaces and, and that introduction to that beautiful song as we consider all that Jesus Christ left to come to this earth. And this weekend, as we celebrate the birth of our Savior, we're reminded of that glorious incarnation of our Savior, that He left the, the glories of heaven and He came to this earth to be born in human flesh. Listen, Christ came to this earth because He had a compassion on the whole world. What well, ask the Lord to help us to have some compassion on the lost. He says in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. There was a man named Alexander uh, Sol, uh, Solhens... I'll call him Alexander. He was a prisoner in Soviet prison in Siberia, and he became so weak and discouraged that he wished he could die. The guards typically would beat anybody who would stop working and so his idea was just to stop working. He was so weak, he was tired, he was exhausted. And he would just, after, after working for a while, he thought, I'll just sit here and I'll stop working. And as soon as he did this and he started to employ his plan, a Christian would walk by and very casually uh, write a, a cross in the dirt or on the wall or where he was working, where he would see it and no one else. And these little gestures gave Alexander courage. He said he was encouraged by remembering that God gives hope, God gives strength, God gives courage. And so he decided to continue to, to work because there was a Christian who cared for him. Every day we meet people who need the compassion of Jesus Christ. Everywhere we go, we see people need to see a person who loves God and loves them. This uh, last couple of weeks, the Lord's given opportunity to minister uh, to a man that, uh, that God has just laid as a burden on my heart. First time I went into his hospital room, I wasn't sure what to expect. Uh, he had, last time I had seen him, he had pretty much said he didn't want anything to do with me. But, you know, God does, does great works in people's lives uh, when they're facing their mortality. And so I walked into his room and I, I visited with him for a little bit. And, and I asked him, I said, can I pray with you today? And he said, yes. And I had a good visit with him. The next day I'd come back and I'd check on him throughout the successive days. And throughout all of this, I've just tried to demonstrate that, that spirit of compassion and love to somebody who was in need. Listen, I... My prayer is that one day that, that those walls that have been built up will be broken down and, and he'll trust in Jesus Christ as a Savior. He knows the truth, but, you know, just some bad experiences have got him uh, a little bit disjointed with what's, what's real. You know, when we are compassionate and we have the love of Christ, the world sees that. But they also see when we're not compassionate. They also see when we get angry and vindictive, and they also see when uh, we retaliate. And so God's called us to have this pattern of godliness just like the Apostle Paul. But also, there was a pattern of generosity. And this is the second thing we see in his life. Uh, we think about Scripture, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave. God was a generous God. Isn't that good? And man, we come to Christmas and I love to be generous. I love, uh, if my, it wasn't for uh, a budget, I think I would blow all of our money on Christmas to buy stuff for my kids and family. I just absolutely love to, to do sweet things for them. Missionary Amy Carmichael said, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. You see, God set, himself, set the example himself, didn't he? 
Jesus Christ lived it out among us in human flesh. And if we love, we will give. And that's part of uh, who we are and how Christ makes us. And Jesus sent His disciples out to minister. He told them in Matthew 10, 8, He said, Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely receive, freely give. So we're commanded to give. And so let's look at this. What do we give? First off, we see Apostle Paul gave his time. And we saw this, that he never considered the time spent in ministry a waste. He never considered, uh, if he was ministering to somebody, a waste of time. Uh, today, I had an opportunity to follow up and visit a family that had visited Sunday. And, and uh, while I was there, we spent quite a bit of time together uh, there uh, as he reminisced about some of the things in his past. And I tell you, those, those moments there, investing in someone's life are never something that's wasted. Truly, Paul's ministry was his life. He was willing to give his life and his time again and again and again, especially to believers that are young in the faith. And he was willing to go back and teach again and to mentor and to model. This is one of the reasons why Paul's fruit was so abundant. He took time to cultivate like a farmer will cultivate the ground and the fields. And we see that uh, in and throughout his ministry. We're going to look at a couple of places. Acts chapter 18, verses 7 through 11. Acts 18, 7 through 11. It says, And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, and uh, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And, and Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord and all his house. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Now, we can go on through that, but verse number 11 I want to focus on. It says, And he continued there a year and six months teaching the Word of God among them. He invested his life in this church. He wanted them, this church to grow. He wanted them to uh, develop in the relationship with the Lord. And so he spent his time there, but he didn't waste his time there. He utilized the time that God had given them. Sometimes, and I remember being like this as a kid, we just wish time to go by. Remember Christmas, how long it would take for Christmas to come around? Anybody else like this? I remember when I was a kid, I said, I would start counting down the days. All right, 364 more days till Christmas. Uh, maybe I was just a weirdo, but I, I, always th I was like, I can't wait for the next Christmas to come around. I, it's so good. I just enjoy it. There's good food, there's good family, and of course the gifts. And man, it was just a lot of fun. But, you know, sometimes we can wish away lives. And sometimes as parents, we say, well, I can't wait for the day when my kids can get out of diapers. Can I get an amen? <laughs> or I can't wait for the day we don't have to worry about those car seats anymore. Now they've got to be 21 for that of car seats. Can you believe that? Listen, we all, we like to wish away our lives. We like to wish things to go by quicker. And man, if I could just get to this next thing, this next thing. But listen, he wasn't wishing away. He wanted to remain and he wanted to invest and he wanted to take the time that God had given him and strengthen the disciples. Acts 18, once again, verse 23. We're going to skip 22, Brian. And it says, And after he spent some time there, he departed and went all over the country of Galatia and Fergia in, in, in order, strengthening all the disciples. He utilized his time to strengthen the believers. Listen, did you know that God's called you and me to build up one another? You know, it's not just the, the pastor's job to run around and say, All right, come on, you can do it over here. All right, come over here. You can do it over here. That God didn't call me to just do that alone. 
You know, matter of fact, God calls all of us to be part of this body of Christ. And in the body of Christ, we work to build one another. The word edify means literally to build up. And so that means over here, you've got a Sunday school teacher who loves and cares about you. And they're going to call you and say, hey man, we've missed you. Or over here, we've got uh, somebody that sits on the same pew as you. And, and they, hey man, I've missed you in church. Where you been? You're doing okay. And then, especially this time of year, we have several folks that have been sick. It's important that we build one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Paul said, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even, uh, even as also you do. Romans 14.19, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and the things wherefore, wherewith one may edify another. Romans 15.2, let, uh, let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. Over, and we could go on and on. If you ever uh, worked in construction, you know that the, one of the most important pieces in the building process is the foundation. And it can take literally months to prepare a good foundation for a building. When we were building this building in 2008 and, uh, is when we started construction. And I remember as we began that construction phase, it took way longer to prepare the pad for this than I ever thought possible. It, I believe we started uh, the dirt work in, I think, May of that year, and then it was August before we actually poured concrete. And it just took a long time. It was a process. And as we go into the next building phase, don't, don't, the only expectation I'm going to give you, there's two expectations you can have, and these will be good ones. You ready? Write them down. It will take longer than you want it to, and it will cost more than we want it to. Amen. <laughs> Those are two expectations I promise to keep. All right? So, but that foundation takes time. And so Paul was willing then to lay a good foundation. He was willing to invest in others. He was willing to pour into the churches and pour into these believers and pour into these young preachers. And, and what a blessing it is that others have poured into our lives. 1 Corinthians 10, 23 and 24 says, uh, as Paul was talking about this, he says, listen, I want to sacrifice more than just time. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. So I'm selective. And he says in verse 24, let no man seek his own, but every man another's. He says, listen, I'm just going to pour in and pour in and pour in. He had a concern that his actions would help to grow and to develop other believers no matter what he might have to give up personally. Man, this is a great pattern. This is something that we can personally uh, take part in in investing in one another because one day we're not going to be here. And there's going to be someone who comes behind us. And I want to know that this person that I've invested in is going to take those same things which I've committed unto them and be able to commit them to others also. 2 Timothy 2.2 2 says, And the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So he's generous with his time, but he's also generous with his talents. The church in Corinth was at times the most carnal church in the, uh, of all the New Testament churches. But didn't, it didn't deter Paul from trying to invest in them and give, them, give to them. And matter of fact, many times he gave them a little tough love. Tough love is needed, amen? Uh, if you've ever been a parent, you know that there are times when you have to have a little bit of tough love. Uh, whether that's uh, when their children are young and you have to discipline them, or when they get a little older and you have to let them flounder in the choices that they have made. 
But listen, he spared no efforts to help this church to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and he wanted them to be all that God wanted them uh, could, could make them to be. And so Paul told them that he didn't want to be a burden. So this is what he said in 2 Corinthians 12, 14. He says, Behold, the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you. For I seek not yours, but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. As he was speaking to this church, he said, Listen, I'm going to invest in you, but I'm not going to ask anything from you financially or anything like that. I'm just going to invest in you with what I have. Now, the, the word spent here uh, could be defined as used up. He wanted to give and give and give unto this church in their time of need. As a parent, we do the same thing with our kids. We, uh, we are willing to use up ourselves so our children might have what they need, whether that's resources or uh, the pleasures or training or whatever it is. And in the spiritual realm, as spiritual present, uh, parents, we ought also to, to give of ourselves that others may also grow spiritually. So Paul is reminding us that it is more blessed to give than receive. Acts chapter 20, verse 35, he comes to that conclusion as he says, I've showed you all things, that, uh, that uh, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. There was a story told uh, about a, a beggar by the roadside who was asking for alms of Alexander the Great. And as Alexander the Great passed by, the, the old man was poor and wretched. He had no, no right to ask anything of the emperor. And yet the emperor, as he passed by, heard the man's plight, and he threw him several gold coins. One of his men that were with him was kind of astonished at the generosity of uh, Alexander the Great. And he said, Sir, copper coins would have met this beggar's need. Why would you give him gold? Alexander responded, Copper coins would suit the beggar's need but gold coins suit Alexander's giving. You see, God's given everything to us. He's given us the most precious gift we could ever ask for, and that's the life of His own Son. And through His death, we have life. I want to invite you tonight. And we see these, this pattern of godliness. We see this generosity. Maybe there's something in your life that God's pricked your heart and said, listen, there's something that maybe is not quite right. There's something in your life that I want you to try to get right. I want you to, to work on developing and becoming that godly example for others to follow. And tonight, let me just encourage you. Maybe that you have, uh, have, have kind of grown, grown lackadaisical or cold or, or maybe indifferent. And let me just come, let's just come back to the manger once again and be reminded of the great love of our, uh, our wonderful Father. And tonight, He invites you to rekindle that love and that devotion to Him, to once again fan those flames and uh, allow His uh, desire uh, in your heart to grow more fervent uh, during this time. Thank you so much for joining us today. It is such a privilege to share God's Word with you. If God has spoken to your heart because of the message, Stop right now and respond to whatever it is God is asking of you. Don't wait another minute. You can pray right where you're at and ask God for His help. If this message has helped you in any way, we would love to hear from you. Let us know if you have any questions or we can help you with your decision. Jesus asked His disciples, Who do ye say that I am? And he offers the same question to you today. What would your answer be?